This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Bart Mellis and Associates. So today I have a special guest that is going to be joining me. His name's Rob Nixon. Some of you guys probably have never heard of him because he coaches accounting firms. And so I've been working with Rob for a number of years, you know, understanding more about my business, helping me grow my business, helping me better serve my clients, and also, you know, doing some different things that kind of set us apart from our competition or other accounting firms out there. Um, was a really insightful talk. You know, obviously he doesn't deal with auto repair shops, but like he says, business is business. And there's a lot of his ideas that I actually use with some of my clients as well. So I think you'll really enjoy that. But before we get into that interview, uh, I want to have a quick word from our partners here who make business by the numbers possible. Are you spending your nights at the shop or worrying about the shop? Get the numbers you need to see what's going on with tech and each profit center thanks to advanced analytics. Get shopware.com and get some sleep. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Just want to introduce Rob Nixon here, who's joining me today. Rob Nixon is actually a coach that helps us and our accounting firm you know, understand our business better, drive our numbers, better help our clients. And you know, obviously, he doesn't work with auto repair shops, but a lot of the stuff that he's taught me is stuff that I talk to clients about. Rob and I were just talking about before, you know, value proposition, pricing things correctly, making sure that you have the culture that is correct for your business, uh, not the business that you have, the business that you want to have, you know, and always be growing. Um, I know another one of the things that Rob always talks about is I don't want to see your numbers stagnant. I don't want to see your big business stagnant. Stagnant is dying. It should always be improving. It should always be getting better. And so, yeah, Rob, just wanted to thank you for coming on here. Well, looking forward to it, Hunter. I'm looking forward to chatting with your auto shops. I listen to your podcast as well. So super jazzed. Awesome. So one of the things that comes up a lot, you know, and I talk to this, uh, I talk to clients about this a lot is one of the things that you've taught me is the value triangle, right? You know, when you are trying to deliver value, trying to price something based on value, you have to meet three different areas of this, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Rob, and, and you know how it relates to accounting firms and then kind of talk about how it relates to auto repair shops? Yeah. So, so my career has been working with accountants for 28 years now, right? But the work I do with them is just business. It just so happens to be tailored towards accountants. I was privileged to start my business development career when I was 17. Man, that's 35 years ago. I'm 52. And one of my early mentors was Jay Abraham. And this is when in my late teens, early 20s. And one of the the things that really stuck with me when it came to value and pricing was the following phrase. Uh, This is Jay's phrase, not mine. And he said, it is arrogant in the extreme to dictate to the marketplace how much they will pay. And, And that stuck with me for all these years, right? And so what that means is my interpretation of that is let's go with a view of we have no idea how much to charge, right? And let's instead 
of following old methods of, you know, hourly rates, uh, parts and materials marked up by a certain percentage equals the price, et cetera. Let's go with, I know nothing about pricing. However, if I test and measure different propositions, different pricing, I'll let the marketplace determine what uh, my price will be. And so the first sale with this is to yourself, right? The first is all about value belief. Do you believe in the value you're providing? Regardless of what the competition's doing, what do you believe you're worth? You know, if you believe you're worth, and let's just hourly rates as an example, 100 bucks an hour, and that's all you believe you're worth, that's all you'll get. But if you believe the work you do is worth 300 an hour or 3,000 an hour, then that's what you'll get. You'll work out how to get it. So out of everything, it's the context of let the marketplace determine your pricing. Because pricing, by the way, top-line pricing is the fastest way to profitability. If you're running a million-dollar shop now, in my case, my clients are accounting firms, and you do you know, a 15% price increase you'll get very little drop-off, but that means you've got $1.15 million in revenue and that $150 goes straight to the bottom line. You know, it is the fastest way to get profit. You know, Hunter and I and your firm, we did that earlier on. We continue to do that and we continue to, you know, someone said this to me really well yesterday, Hunt, sorry, two days ago. I was interviewing one of our accounting firms who's 19 months into the journey. You know, us with you, we're four years in, 19 months. And this is the first time I've heard it said this way, Melissa from Toronto said, this isn't about price gouging for us to not price gouge our clients. But then she said at the same time, we don't want to be price gouged by our clients. And I thought mm-hmm. it was a really interesting way to put it. And, and, and my interpretation of that is, well, you know, we need to get to the right price for our services, in this case, an accounting firm in Toronto, uh, and for you as, as a shop, you know, the right price of the, the total price of the service, the repairs or whatever's going on. But how do you get to the right price? Right? That is the key, right? How do you actually get to that point where it's good? The only way you can get to that point is if you let the marketplace tell you what that number is and test and measure, measure conversion rate, acceptance rates, you know, uh, understand are you getting price objections or price questions? You know, so one of the things I, I always say, if they keep saying, yes, the price is wrong, right, it's too low. If, if the yeses are too easy, you know, it'll be $2,000. Yeah, no worries, all good. Man, I could have charged two and a half for that, right? You don't know. You just don't know. But you, the, the, the metric to measure of getting to the right price is going to be the conversion rate from, you know, prospect or existing client in front of you through to sale. So, yeah, it, start, it starts all up here. It starts with value, belief, mindset, and, and realizing you just don't know how much to charge. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I see this a lot in auto repair shops because a lot of my clients are all delivering great value, right? They're giving warranties. They're doing the right things. They got highly trained technicians. They got the right equipment. They got everything. The customers are aware of that. They see this. They know what's going on there. So they're delivering value. The customers see this value. But I have people that are charging $100 an hour. I have people that are charging $240 an hour. And obviously, some of that is going to be geographic. You know, we're nationwide. But a lot of this is is the biggest thing. And I'd like to tell people this because, you know, everyone needs to hear this as a business owner is, hey, be proud of what you have. You drive great work. You know, and I tell people all the time, what is your competition? 
oh, you know, my competition's at $160 an hour and you're at 110. Well, what are they doing better than you are? Well, absolutely nothing. Right. And then, so it's okay, but they're believing in that and they believe, hey, we can do 160. And I guarantee that they're getting that. And I feel like that a lot of times people just need to look in the mirror and say, you know what, we're going to do this. And, you know, one of the crazy things is I tell people is, hey, get out of your comfort zone, right? Oh, you want to go to 115? You want to go to 130? It's a couple of clicks of the button, you know, for most of these guys shop management software, you can always go back down. But like you said, if everyone is saying, yes, you're not turning away anyone, then you're probably priced too low. And another thing too, that you talked about there is the communication, right? It's not just, hey, Rob, car's all done. You owe me a thousand dollars. Okay, great. You know, hey, we gave a quote, we gave an estimate and Rob comes back and says, you know what? That's a little bit more expensive than I was expecting. And that's where a lot of people get uncomfortable, right? And that's where the service advisor or the salesperson that's doing this needs to be able to explain this. Well, we have loaner cars, right? We stand behind our work. We are the most trained technicians in town and we're going to we're going to do this right. We're going to do it the first time instead of the natural thing. I think for a lot of guys is, all right, soon as I get that pushback, do I start negotiating down my price? Right. Do I start discounting it? And I know, Rob, you're a big fan of discounts, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. I hate discounts. <laughs> there's a um, there's a movie. I can't remember the name of the movie. And it was uh, Danny DeVito and uh, someone else. Anyway, the basic plot was Danny DeVito had kidnapped this guy's wife, right? And so other way around. The other guy kidnapped uh, Danny DeVito's wife. And the other guy was calling a ransom of, let's call it $50,000 to give the wife back. And Danny DeVito is on the phone call. And he says, no, nah, not going to pay it, not going <laughs> to pay it. And the other guy, the, the, the kidnapper, says, um, well, how about $30,000, right? <laughs> and, and the classic scene, Danny DeVito puts his hand over the, the speaker on the phone, whoever he's talking to, he says, a poor salesperson always lowers their price. <laughs> <laughs> classic, right? But back, back, to the three, back to the three points, yeah. and, and you covered them. One is value belief. You know, do you believe you're worth it? One is uh, value contribution. So how are you contributing to the client's condition? Like, for example, uh, the loan car is a great value contribution, right? Warranties, et cetera. And the third is value perception. And value perception is where you've got to tell them and tell them and tell them and over again what you're actually doing for them um, and why you're the best in, 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 in the business. Yeah. And one of the things too is, you know, going back to discounts on it is discounts in accounting firm are a little bit different, you know, not really our firm in the way that we operate, but I see a lot of shops out there that the difference between them being very successful and being profitable is discounts, right? They're discounting off 10 or 15% of their sales and that's their entire net profit margin on there, you know, and, and it's a very slippery slope here, right? Because I know the idea behind it. Well, if I sell something for nine fifty instead of a thousand, it's better than me getting zero. But where does that stop? How do you know you're going to get zero? That's the thing. And how do you actually know? Uh, you know, I, I laugh all the time when I go in to buy something, right? And it might be a, a retail experience or a wholesale experience or a service experience. Let's say, look. Um, Normally it's $650, but how about 500 I didn't even ask for a damn discount and they gave me one. And I walk away, you, I mean, you idiots, you've just given me $150 off your bottom line when I didn't even ask for it. So stupid. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of times people, when they start getting pushback on it, they think the first thing is price, 
right? The first thing that they think of is this customer is not saying because of price. And a lot of times it's not the actual price. It's the value behind it, right? And that's what we preach all the time. This is not price. This is not money. This is value. If you're giving tons and tons and tons of value, the price goes out the window. They're like, hey, I want to be here. And also trust, right? You know, trust is a huge level that needs to be taken into consideration as well, I think. And what happens here, Hunt, is it's human nature, right? Human nature makes a phone call to uh, an establishment uh, inquiring about a product or a service. And often the first thing they lead with is what's the price for? Blah, 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 right? What are they and the seller, so the buyer is asking a price-related question. The seller thinks that this is a price shopper, right? Someone who shops, 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 shops on price. It's actually not. The buyer, let's say me calling you, I've led with price as my first question because I don't know what else to ask. <laughs> you know, because you, as the seller, you know your thing back to front, right? You know your service, you know your product, back to front. Someone comes, oh, tell me the price of a service or tell me the price to fix this or whatever, go on, price shopper, right? They're not a price shopper. A price shopper is someone who will, right, literally call five shops and ask for exactly the same thing. You don't want them as a customer anyway, mm-hmm. you know, because if, if you win that customer, that client on price first time, you're going to lose them on price as well. So I remember years ago when I was in, um, uh, wholesale. So I've been working with accountants for 28 years. That's my uh, target market. Before that, I was on the shop floor. I've sold menswear. I've sold agricultural supplies. And, and I always remember this particular instance when I was selling agricultural supplies in our family business. And I had this person come in and say, well, what's the price of this? And I simply deflected and said, look, we'll get to that. I need to ask you a few questions first. And she said, no, I want to know the price. I said, well, I can't give you the price until I understand what you need. Oh, okay then. And then we had a conversation about what they needed. And and that was like a a lesson of how you get around, you know, the price question. They just don't know what else to ask. No, I love that idea because, you know, generally the people I talk to and uh, people have on the podcast are inside the industry. And so I think that you're outsider's point of view of, hey, when I'm asking about price, I'm not necessarily even caring about the price. I don't know what else to ask. I'm not sure what a tie rod is, push rod. Like, I just want it fixed. I don't want to just say, okay, just do it. I have to ask something, right? We all have bad days. We just turn to someone and ask, how the heck do I fix this? When that happens to you on the business side, which may not be your strong suit, you want someone quick and you want them to be clear. That's exactly what Dan Groen from Detroit Garage found when he peppered the folks at Shopware with questions about how to make the most of its shop management system. As he puts it, they continually solve the curveballs that we throw at them. With seven shops, Dan jokes that he is a demanding client, but that is a sign of a guy committed to his business. Even better, the Shopware support team met every challenge with, in Dan's words, impressive capabilities and vigor. No complaints. No hassles, just a commitment to help Dan through his day. As Dan says, we make each other stronger. Now that's a partnership that works. It is time. Visit GetShopware.com. As a shop owner, it's important to invest in the right tools to help your business grow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow, an endorsed Napa Auto Care coaching and marketing program, is committed to helping the whole shop reach its full potential by utilizing their industry-leading learning management system. 
Repair Shop of Tomorrow have produced over 50 learning modules to provide continuing education for shop owners, service advisors, and technicians. Their learning management system allows all employees to learn exactly what the owner is learning on their own time. Training modules such as Repair Order Workflow, Advisor Huddle, Business Flowchart, and Driving Profitability helps ensure everyone in the shop knows what the right looks like and understand their responsibilities inside the organization. When the team is all operating with the same playbook, the results are remarkable. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. I have some questions for you, Rob. You might not be able to answer this, but you know, one of the things that you know we talk about a lot is we look at the accounting industry in Australia, we look at in other countries because you've dealt with it you know, all over the world. And for the most part, America is kind of behind as far as technology and stuff like that. But I would be curious to hear, and I'm not sure if you even know this, is like, what's the going rate for an oil change down in Australia? You know? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, I, look, I actually have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, I do know this though. When I take my vehicles in for a regular service, yeah, you know, X miles of kilometer service, almost every time, and I don't know whether this happens in, in, in the US, but let's say it's an agreed $300 service, right? Mm-hmm. Just a regular service, which will probably include an oil change. Two a time, I'll get a phone call a couple of hours later. Now, Rob, we're just about to get into the service. We notice this is wrong as well, mm-hmm. right? Is it okay to proceed with new tyres, brakes, whatever? 100% of the time you say yes to that, right? So I always laugh because well, what am I going to do? You've already got the damn car. I may or may not have your loan car. I can't do anything about it. I'm going to say yes to you, whatever your request. And I look at that as an awesome opportunity to you know, make sure you charge for that extra work at full rack rate because the customer will say yes every time. Yeah. And so what uh, a lot of the uh, shops are doing in the States is when they come in, you know, oil changes are always kind of to get someone in the door, to get it up on a rack. And so what most shops are doing, and I'm not sure if your shop down there is doing this, but they're doing a digital vehicle inspection. So when they come in there, they say, hey, they're in for this specific concern but we're going to look at the entire vehicle, send them pictures and videos and recommended services. Because just like you said, hey, I don't know something that I can't see. And so then now they're obviously giving them good concerns because some of these are safety concerns, but obviously driving sales as well. Yeah. 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 So don't ask me any more questions on how much it costs <laughs> to do car repairs. I don't know. <laughs> Plus you drive a, a Land Rover anyway, so that might not be... As relevant for some people or for, for those of you out there that fix Land Rovers and Range Rovers, you know, Hunt, he's never going to get away with just an oil change. It always needs something else, right? Well, the other one, I drive, I drive a Maserati as well, which is about 7,000 <laughs> cars. Uh, man, is that thing expensive when you put it into the shop? <laughs> you were just like, you know what? Let me look for the most unreliable vehicles. And here we are, right? Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> I love my Land Rover Defender. It's awesome. I've had a number of them. Yeah. The crazy thing is, is, you know, people, because right now the hot topic in the US is car prices, used car prices, new car prices are skyrocketing. And, you know, for oh, the con- no, let's, let's talk about <laughs> yeah, that. Let's there we go. That, to make right? people feel a little bit better, you know, it could yeah, be worse. Because we've had this conversation before, Hunt. So basically, a, a like for like vehicle in Australia is double the price of the United States. And I was, I was just there recently back in May caught up with Hunt, and um, I noticed other things have gone up in price, but I actually researched, um, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking to buy 
the new Range Rover Vogue, the autobiography. And I thought, I'll just do it. Because when, when you're in Australia, you search for it, you only get the Australian website. So I thought, I'm going to do this in the US, get the US websites. In Australia, what I was looking at was $375,000 new. It was literally 150 grand in the US. Oh, man. Oh, you look at other vehicles. For example, I had a F-150 Raptor, which is, uh, this is a 2012 model. So the F-150 Raptor came out in about 10 or 11. And I got, I got one in Australia. Now, I know how much they are in the US, but I paid $155,000 for this thing in 2012. And back then, they're about 60 grand and nothing's changed. It's still about double. <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. And, then, and while we're at it, Stop bitching and moaning about gas prices, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been spoiled. I mean, I, someone was saying, I guess, you know, two and a half years ago, gas right now was like $1.47 a gallon. And, you know, now for gas or diesel, we're up to 5 or $6, depending on where you are. And literally every other country in the world, maybe other than some Middle Eastern countries, are still like, yeah, that's still half the price of what ours is, right? Yeah. Come on. If you can't complain about anything, what are you going to do with your time, Rob, right? <laughs> exactly right. We're paying $2.00. $2.20 a litre. So how many gallons to the litre? Is it four and a half? Something like that. So you're, you guys are at about 10, 10, 11? Eight, 10 bucks. Eight, 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Well, you got very fuel efficient vehicles, right? So it's nothing to worry about. Of course you have. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So other things that we want to talk about here. So I, you know, this is kind of where I got the QuickBooks direction from. And so we talk a lot, we got almost all of our clients are using QuickBooks desktop or QuickBooks online. And I've been telling people, you know, you don't need to do this today. You don't need to do this tomorrow, but the day is coming to get rid of QuickBooks desktop. The world is going cloud-based and more or less the United States is lagging behind on there. And for those of you that say, "Hun, I love desktop. I don't want to get off of it. Rob's the reason that I talk about this. And so down in Australia, you guys have been off, you know, locally server-based QuickBooks for how long? I mean, you guys have been in the cloud since when? Uh, so the whole cloud accounting system revolution started in about 2011 or 12, and it really got... So I used to talk to the accountants in 12, 13, 14 in Australia about moving your clients to a better accounting system, right? Cloud accounting. Uh, we don't talk about that anymore because we've got like 70 or 80% penetration of small businesses on a pure cloud accounting system. So here's why, um, and we just did a benchmark report and it was 29% of the accounting firms that participated, 29% of their clients was the median result on cloud accounting, which is still only a third, right? It's a long way to go. And you're about five years behind where we are because we were at about 30% about five or six years ago. So here's why you need to shift, right, uh, and, and, and stop using desktop-based products, in this case, accounting products. First of all, whenever you are doing desktop, you can't have real-time numbers. So, for example, I don't use QuickBooks personally. I use Xero, which is a competing product. But, yeah, if we don't like Xero, sure, get it, <laughs> right? Uh, it's the same idea. Yeah. But I use a, an app connected to it, which does the bookkeeping for me. And it's called Receipt Bank. It's like Expensify. And so if I get a receipt, let's say a credit card transacted and a paper receipt, I take a snap of that and it automatically gets uploaded into the accounting system. So what that means for me as the business owner is 
as I'm transacting, you know, credit cards or paying bills or whatever, everything's connected. So it's connected to the bank accounts, like the trading check account, savings, whatever the account is, the credit cards, and everything's automatically connected. So that means that payments are through, we don't do checks. We haven't used checks in Australia for 15 years. I don't have a checkbook. I don't know what a check is, right? So it's an inefficient system as far as I'm concerned. But what it means for the business owner, my accounting is up to date all the time. Other than some reconciliations by the bookkeeper, you know, once a week, and I've got one in my email at the moment with two, just two receipts to tell her what where to code them to, she sends me an email, her name's Tiffany, and that's it. If I want to run a live cash flow, a live profit and loss, a live balance sheet, it is just there. It is all up to date. So what it means for me as the business owner, I can run a better business because I've got better data, right? It's as simple as that. Then flip through to the accounting firm. What it means for Parmelis is if you as the shop have got better data and they're connected to you as well, then they can see your live results, right? So, and here's where the kicker, the real cool thing is, because accountants think in numbers all the time, they can, by looking at your results, because it's real time at your end and, and live at your end, they can predict what's going on. And Hunter, one of his team can make a call and say, hey, I noticed that, you know, expenses are up a bit, accounts receivables up, you know, profits down a bit. How's your cash flow? How are you? And, and, oh, didn't know about that. I hadn't thought about that. Because you can start to predict when you've got real-time numbers, you can predict what's going to go on, you know, in the next few weeks. So it's a double-edged sword, a double benefit. You, the business owner, get a better result, more real-time numbers, and the accounting firm also uh, has the ability to give you better help because they can see real-time numbers. Yeah, no, I love that idea. I mean, you hit on a couple points there of, you know, the old school accounting way of doing stuff was you got all your physical papers, you gave it to someone like me. We would then put it into QuickBooks and then we would generate financial statements. But at best, we're at 30, more than likely 60 days out from being able to do that. It's just a really long process. You know, if you go to something like desktop, you can't always be around it, right? Most business owners are not just sitting there in front of the computer. And so again, you're still lagging. I love the idea that you talked about that the cloud-based accounting, you know, let's forget backups, let's forget internet or anything like that. Just sheerly allowing you to just run your business and your finances simultaneously, right? It's almost like when you talk about this, it wasn't even like a separation of, hey, I was doing my business and I was doing my accounting. No, it was just all part of me running my business because at the end of the day, if we're sitting here, we're talking about January's financials, how useful is that for us, right? Yeah. So, and, and run it off your phone as well. You know, life is our phone, you know, getting alerts as to when you're paid, you know, quickly tapping on the QBO to see, okay, what have I got an outstanding money account receivable, you know, the alert system, the cash flow forecasting. You know, I started talking about this in 2014 with the accountants hunt. You know, you used to be a redundant data accountant. You were dealing in redundant dead data. Now, with all this technology, you can be the real-time accountant. So it's a similar, let's switch it back to the shop. You know, it's like the redundant data shop owner versus the real-time data shop owner. And you can just run a better business. So yeah, get ready a desktop and switch to cloud. Uh, do that immediately. Love it. <laughs> uh, disclaimer, I have no vested interest in Tuart or any of these companies. I just believe in the whole lot. Yeah. And it's exactly right, right? Because, you know, in the past it was, all right, financials are to tell me what I did last year so I can file a tax return. Whereas, you know, my philosophy and our firm's philosophy 
is no, the numbers are supposed to tell you what past performance is doing and current performance so that you can make changes so that you can, you know, tweak your business so that you can analyze profitability and ultimately learn from it so that you can be making the right moves and making the right changes. 100%. You've got to know your numbers to run a better business. You know, you're a great shop owner, you're a great technician, you know vehicles, you know to fix them, your people do. But unless you know those numbers, those real-time numbers, you can't run a great business. That is something that I tell to people a lot because a lot of times I'll go and I'll say, Rob, let's say that you own a shop and I'll be talking about this and I'll say, hey, your gross profit's falling a little bit. You know, sales are up, gross profit is down, overall net profit is, you know, a lot less than what we'd like it to be. And some cop-out answer that I get sometimes is, well, Hunt, you know, I'm not an accountant, I'm a technician. I said, you're not a technician anymore. You own a business, right? If you want to be a technician, sell this thing and go get a job anywhere that you want right now. But if you're a business owner, your tools are these numbers, are these financials, are your accountant to be able to understand this stuff better and to be able to grow a business for yourself, your family, your your team's family, right? It's it's not just you. And you know, if you're not making the business as best as you can be, there's a lot of people that are getting hurt by this, right? Yeah, and and and, and that's a big switch from being, you know, a practitioner, a technician. You know, doing what the business does, um, as Michael Gerber wrote seminal work in 1986 called The E-Myth, you know, going from working in the business to on the business. And the switch is this business you own should provide uh, wealth for you. It should be a wealth generating machine to provide you a great lifestyle uh, along the way and possibly an exit if you choose to exit. But ultimately, you know, it's part of your life, but it should be your number one wealth creation vehicle to set yourself up for forever and generations as well. And if you run it well, because I'd imagine, Hunt, as you look at all your clients and you benchmark them like I do with mine, there'll be some that are absolutely kicking goals big time and others that are lagging. The secrets are in the ones that are kicking goals. What are they doing differently? How are they managing their business? How are they pricing, managing their people, managing customer relationships, marketing, sales, et cetera? Let's just follow that. Let's find those answers and follow those ones. Yeah, and I'd be curious of what you think, and I know we're coming up on time here for accounting firms, but I think that the difference between the top shops that are killing it and the ones that are just getting by is really subtle differences. It's not a massive change. It's a little bit here, a little bit there, but you can't analyze that small detail unless you really understand the numbers. 100%. 100%. Know your numbers, manage the numbers, change the numbers. Uh, and it's not just one number, it's a whole range of them. You know, uh, for a shop, it might be utilization of your people, uh, margins of hourly rates, you know, inventory on the floor, how many times you turn the inventory over for cash flow, accounts receivable. You could do There's my job whole... for me, Rob. Yeah, surely. There you go. <laughs> I said, it's just business. It just so happens my clients are accountants. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Any final words for shops listening out there? Maybe you they don't understand their numbers or any kind of word advice you want to give us? Yeah, sure. So first of all, as a business owner, to lean more on professional advice and pay them more, right? And I'm not saying pay them more for the sake of getting nothing, right? You want to get something in return. But quite often, we as the business community don't lean on the experts enough whether it be the experts and the legal experts, the consulting experts, the coaches, the accountants, you know, these people are experts in their field for a reason. You know, I've hired 
I've had mentors for 35 years. I've hired coaches, like business coaches for 25. I'm a golf nut. I have a golf coach. I have a golf lesson today. If you want to build a better business, a few things. One, you need to become a better business person. But two, you need to be curious and ask for help. You know, you need to go to those other shop owners that are doing it well, understand them, research them. You know, I remember I started a software company years ago. And the first thing I did, or not so much first thing, but, you know, very early on, I got a group of people around the world who are in the same field. And we would jump on a plane, literally, there were four countries of entrepreneurs in the same field. We would go country to country, city to city. You know, we would research, we, we visited about 55 different software companies to learn from those that were bigger and more successful than us, you know. And it's so valuable. Let's find the path well worn and work out, well, how in the hell did you do that? Because I'm just not going to do it my way. I'll do it your way because your way is better. So there's some parting words. The who, not the how, right? The who, not the how. Find the who. <laughs> exactly. Find the who. I love the it. Who's out there? Thanks, Rob. You're welcome, buddy. I'll talk with you soon. Yeah. See ya. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. You know, I think that Rob delivers a lot of ideas that anyone can learn from. And if for nothing else, you probably like to hear his accent and some of the stories that he always has for us. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Thanks again for listening to the Aftermarket Radio Network. Find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. Until next time, stay safe, and I will talk to you soon. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.